Well, for all those of you that are making notes this morning, the title for today's message is More Than an Axe Head. And I'd be grateful if you turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Kings chapter 6. Now, many of you, these are probably the very fresh pages of your Bibles because they're not so popular. Um, it's right at the start of the book. It's after Samuel, before Chronicles. If you head back there, if you haven't brought your Bible this morning, that's completely cool. Tell if you're a guest, just steal somebody else's. And hey, I'm going to be reading it out anyway, so just listen in. That'll help you. But 2 Kings, chapter 6. You know, the day we are celebrating today, Mother's Day, is a very special day, isn't it? So as I said before, if you are a mum, then thank you so much for being here and celebrating this day with us as Sovereign Grace Church. It's actually a day that was first coined by the British in the early 1600s. It was traditionally celebrated annually on the fourth Sunday of Lent. And the whole idea behind it was that children and servants and apprentices and dads and so on and so forth would all get sent home on this fourth Sunday of Lent just to thank their mums, honour their mums, they'd give them cakes, give them chocolates, all the same stuff that we'd buy in Kmart today, basically. Just in the 1600s, that's what they used to give to their mums, to give thanks for them. And as the British Empire grew and became Great Britain and really expanded over to 46 different countries, Mother's Day went with it. So everybody around the world celebrates Mother's Day to this day. And yet the real origin of Mother's Day didn't start with the British in the early 1600s. It actually began on a mountainside in Sinai and a moment when God gave a young man called Moses the Ten Commandments. And this is what he said, number five of the Ten Commandments. God said, Honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honour your mum and dad. See to it that you honour the source which you came from. And so today, as a pastor, I want to apply that by devoting this entire message to all those here today that are mothers, to honour you, to give thanks for you in the role that God's called you to as mums and to remind you and encourage you and really cheer you along in the high and holy calling that God has put on your lives as mothers. And so if you're here today not as a mum, That's me as well. I want to encourage you to to listen in. Because 2 Kings chapter 6, I think, has something to say to each and every one of us. And more than that, we're a family. As a local church, we come together. And so if we're talking to singles, we stand together with those singles. If we're talking to dads, we stand together to those dads. If we're talking to mums, we stand together to those mums. And we all need to be equipped by God's work to really encourage the mothers that are in our local church, don't we? And so we all want to be listening in and engaging in this moment. But if you are a mum, this is particularly designed and aimed to you and for you. So 2 Kings chapter 6, and let's read verse 1 through to the end of verse 7. Now the sons of the prophet said to Elisha, See, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan And each of us get there a log, and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, Go. Then one of them said, Be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water. And he cried out, Alas, 
My master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. And he said, Take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word and we do thank you for motherhood. And Lord, would you give us all grace to hear today, to hear your words, to be addressed by you. And Lord, I do pray in particular that you speak to the mothers here today. Lord, encourage them and strengthen them and comfort them as I believe you want to. So Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture, all of it, is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. All of Scripture, all of this, is breathed out by God and given to us by God so that we may be competent and equipped for every good work. But I know what many of you are thinking in this moment. What on earth has 2 Kings chapter 6 got to do with being a mum? I mean, it's a really cool story, but what has it got to do with being a, a mum? What on earth has some story about a dude who's going and knocking down some trees and he's like, oh my gosh, I've dropped the axe head, it's in the river, I can't find it, and it was borrowed. What on earth has that got to do with you as a mum? Well, I thought that to start off with as well. But it's when you look again, And you start to spend more time in God's word and you start to understand the context of this portion of scripture. I think you get to realize that there is more of a correlation in this scripture to motherhood than you first think. See, I've had the privilege of serving alongside a very beautiful mother. This is Emma Taylor. For the last 13 years of my life, we had Josh in May 2002. I have no idea where the time has gone. I still remember being in the delivery suite and it all happening and just holding him for the first time and thinking, I'm a dad. Now he's nearly 13 years old and we now have five children, so time's gone on since then. And watching Emma over many years as well as watching my own mother and my own sister and my sister-in-laws and so many women in the local church that I've had the joy of serving, what I've found to be consistent throughout motherhood is it's full of many joys and many challenges. There are no doubt many joys that come with being a mum. You know, when they arrive up today and they give you that breakfast in bed and you think, do I have to eat this? You know, that is one of those special moments for all mothers and then you discover that they want to eat it for you anyway, so you just let them have it. You know, when that child looks you in the eyes and tells you that they love you, And when you see them grow and you see them starting to grow in the Lord and in their maturity and their wisdom, there are many precious moments to being a mum, aren't there? But there are also, without doubt, many, many challenges. Many moments where mums can feel tossed around by the waves of difficulty, waves of exhaustion, waves of loneliness, waves of futility, waves sometimes of guilt aware of all the mistakes you seem to have made, aware of spiritual dryness. And I think if many mums are honest, every once in a while you can be wondering if you're ever going to make it through motherhood 
or whether you're just going to drown in the waves that come your way with being a mum. I mean, this next account was written 40 years ago by a lady who has three small children. 40 years ago, but see if you can't relate today as a mum. The day Billy took his first steps, our whole life changed. Now he climbs stairs and teeters at the top with one foot poised in midair. Now when his older brother and sister play Candyland, he can stand in the middle of the game board throwing cards in the air. He pulls ingredients off shelves, he makes Cheerio Mountains, and pours olive oil on his head. He wakes up shouting at 5.30 a.m., ready to commence his endless investigation of our decimated house. He goes to bed at 8.30 p.m., and Steve and I then follow soon after. We drop into bed at night with heavy sighs. Three children is a lot, says Steve. (laughs) I'd always wanted three children, and maybe more. Of course, I can't imagine life without any of them. It's just that right now, life around here is indeed grueling. I have to make advance arrangements just to step into the bathroom. I lie awake at night, projecting into our future. In two years' time, Billy will be the age that Charlie is now, almost three, an age that seems so independent and thrillingly mature by comparison to now. Some days I murmur to Steve, we will have a three-year-old and a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. Someday they will be five, seven and eleven, six, eight and twelve. I spin the different combinations in my head like a gambler dreaming of the perfect hand. I called up a friend who has a child just a few months older than Billy. I dial twice because the first time my son pulls my glasses off. As we talk, he sings into the receiver, which is then wet because he licked it. Grabs my coffee, points to the record player demanding music, and then gets himself tangled in my extra-long telephone cord. How long does this stage last? I asked her. When does it get easier? Search me, she says. I'm still waiting too. You know, times may have changed. We no longer have those very long telephone cords that I remember when I was a kid. But see if you can't relate to that as a mum in terms of a story and in terms of content. As is true of every season of life, being a mum comes with its own set of unique joys and indeed challenges. Ways of exhaustion, of loneliness, futility, spiritual dryness and guilt. And that's why then I want to draw your attention today as mums to 2 Kings chapter 6. Because I believe God wants to address you this morning. I believe God wants to address you from this passage of scripture. And I believe God wants to strengthen you and encourage you and indeed equip you afresh from his word that is designed to do that. And it's when you linger on this and pause on it that you realize this relates more to motherhood than you first thought. So three things we're going to be looking at. Three things that are all in this text and are going to help you and strengthen you and I trust comfort you as mums. And here's the first one. Number one, God is concerned even for the little things. It's the first thing we learn in this text. See, without doubt, this does appear to be a somewhat trivial matter, doesn't it? A guy, you know, trying to hit a log, axe head comes off, it's lost, he's borrowed it, he feels really bad about it. It's a simple need. 
It's a trivial need. It's an individual need. It's no big deal. I mean, could you imagine rocking up a life group and bringing that up? I mean, seriously. I mean, it's the type of thing Riley Spring would bring to our group. You know, just nobody does this type of stuff. You know, imagine actually coming to group and actually saying, hey, guys, can we just pause a moment? I was just wondering, if you could pray for me. Yeah, I was out in the back, and like, there was this axe head, and I was chopping down a tree, and it fell off, went in the neighbor's garden. I can't find it anywhere. If you were in our life group, you'd be mocked for the rest of the night on this. We'd be like, well, buy you another one, mate. Just don't worry about it. There's just no way that this would be something that we'd be like seriously committing to the Lord, because it's trivial. It doesn't seem like any big deal. And yet to understand the significance of what we're reading here, you have to understand the context, and you have to understand where this fits in the book of two kings. And then you see something that's incredibly significant about it. See, in two kings chapter 5, we read about a guy called Naaman. Naaman is the commander of the Syrian army. He's a man who had found great favor with the king of Syria, a man of great authority and power, a mighty man of valor. And yet there was something unique about Naaman, even in his greatness, he was also a leper. He was dying. He was literally undergoing death by inches. And he heard that there was somebody in Israel that could actually heal you. So the king of Syria sends him to Israel And when he arrives in Israel, there's this mighty man of valor. Everybody knows who he is. The king of Israel starts to freak out. He believes it's a trap, that they're going to end up going to war against them. And Naaman's getting really uptight about what's taking place. And basically what is happening is they are escalating as nations into war. And yet this man of God steps in and prays for Naaman, and all is made well. A major international crisis is diverted. It is all kicking off in 2 Kings chapter 5. We see leprosy. We see the potential of war. We see huge things taking place that no doubt would have required many church prayer meetings to resolve. But we then go to 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 8 through to 2 Kings chapter chapter 7. If you look at verse 8, it says, Once when the king of Assyria was warring against Israel... He took counsel with his servants. Time has gone on now. Time has moved forward. And what we're actually seeing right here is Syria is now at war with Israel. It is all kicking off. And as we move into chapter 7, we see the great Syrian assault of Samaria. A great Syrian assault where they grow to war against Israel. They go to war against Samaria in particular and they decimate it. They only leave a very small remnant. They are bringing the nation to its knees. And so chapter 5, we see leprosy and the aversion of a great catastrophe and war. Chapter 7, we see a great war. Everything is kicking off. On both sides of the coin, we see things that God would have to be involved in. Major, major things that would take place with hundreds of thousands of people. And then in chapter 6, we get this story of a dude knocking down a tree losing his axe head and God raising it up. My friends, it is in the significance of its location, in its context and position that we find this passage's significance. Because here's why God has placed it here. Here's why the story is taking place in this timeline. It's to teach us that God is concerned 
even with the little things. Even in the midst of national catastrophes, even in the midst of great things that are going on in our world that without doubt need God's attention, he's bothered about the little things too. He's bothered about the small things that take place in our lives. And for all those of you that are mothers, what a beautiful and encouraging and comforting truth this is, don't you think? God cares about you. He cares about your children. Even in the midst of everything else that's going on in the world, he's bothered about the little things. What that means is God cares without doubt for the big things that relate to your child. He's interested in those huge issues that take place in their lives. We see it with Jesus in Matthew 19, verse 14. Jesus says, And let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I love that. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He's on the way to fulfill the greatest rescue mission ever told. And yet he pauses and children start to interact with him. The disciples start to shoo him on. But he's like, no, no, let them wait. Because I love the little children. And I've come for such as these. The kingdom of heaven is open to such as these. And so he spends time with them. Even when he's on his way to Jerusalem, he spends time with them and interacts with them. And he prays with them before leaving them. See, my friends, there's no doubt that God cares for the little things. Because the saviour of the world is not only interested in the children in that moment. He was on his way to Jerusalem. He was on his way to die for them. He was on his way to suffer a death at Calvary where he would be whipped and scourged and beaten. A cloak would be put on him. He would be battered and bruised and he would die saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. For even God the Father turned his face away from his Son. And yet Jesus Christ, even knowing this was coming, stuck with it. Because he wanted to make a way for all those who would put their faith in him as their Lord and Saviour to be truly saved. To be forgiven of their sin. For it to be removed as far as the east is from the west. To be reconciled to God. To be justified. To be adopted into the very family of God and to know that heaven is their home. And he knew the only way to do that was to die on a cross, the traitor's death. And in doing so, make a bridge to heaven for all those who would put their faith in him. Including the very children he just spent time with on the way. God the Father sent his son to die on the cross for your children. Your child's greatest need is salvation. Your child's greatest need is that in and of themselves they are cut off from God in their sin. And so the greatest thing we can teach our children is the gospel and the glories of Calvary because that's the main thing they need. And we can only teach them that because it's true and it's a story that Jesus Christ has given to us himself. There is no question that God in his grace cares for the big things that relate to our children, that relate to our child. And yet as Christians, it is also true that God cares about the little things that relate to your child too. Mothers, do you see that? He's bothered about those axe-head moments for your children. Those sicknesses, no one else is around, that you're having to sort out. 
those discipline issues that seem trivial but can become so ongoing and so wearing. Those school issues that your child is walking through that, that break your heart. Those relational issues that, that happen in their lives, particularly as they get older, that you find so difficult to walk them through. Those moments when they injure themselves. If you have a son like Liam, he, that's like a daily adventure, four times a day. You know, this kid is injuring himself all the time. Kids do these things, don't they? But you know, God is bothered about those little things too. He's involved in your lives. He's concerned. Now, he's even concerned to the number of hairs on their head. Do you believe that? Because he says it in Matthew 10, verse 29. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. For even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? Because you are worth more than many sparrows. Now, growing up in England, sparrows seemed to be everywhere when I was a kid. And they were too for a penny. I mean, they're literally everywhere. And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, are not you worth more than all those? Are not your children worth more than all those? You know how I care for your children? I'm so concerned that I know when a hair falls off their head. Ladies, as you go through the act of motherhood, I want you to know God is concerned even for the little things. How comforting. How strengthening, don't you think? That's not all we learn here. Number two, God is all-powerful ultimately over all things. Look with me again at verse 5. It says, But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. You know, it wasn't just that God was concerned for the axe head and couldn't do anything about it. Now, that would have been a sad moment, don't you think? Oh, it's fallen in. Oh, oh that's a bit tricky for him. He's concerned, but yeah, limited what he can do. This story doesn't finish just with God being concerned about the axe head. It multiplies and glorifies in the truth that God had the power to do something about it as well. And so when that small issue arose and that small axe head fell in the water <coughs> and it appeared it had gone, Elisha throws in a bit of wood. He cries out to God and this iron starts to float, something that iron doesn't usually do. And God saves this accent and gives it back to the man who through whom he borrowed it off. You know, ladies, how encouraging this is as well. Do you not think? Do we not teach our children the Bible stories? Well, simply we need to believe them then. When we say to our children that God is good, that God is great, that he can do all things, that he's not only concerned but he's powerful, we need to stand on those truths for ourselves. And when we do that, it is so encouraging. Because when you cry out, in just the same way that Elisha cried out to the Lord, you cry out to an all-powerful God. A God who parted the Red Sea. Who literally parted a sea so that his people could be saved 
And so the oncoming people who would have slaughtered them all would be killed and washed away. God saved his people through a miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. It was God who closed the lion's mouth in Daniel in the lion's den so that Daniel wouldn't be eaten alive. It was God in his grace that gave a young shepherd boy strength to slay Goliath. We want to be teaching that to our kids and believing it, don't we? When they're looking at us with small eyes to help them see, God gave a young man strength once, just like you. And God in his grace gave that young man strength to slay a Goliath. Son, you have nothing to fear. It's God in his grace that has the power to open blind eyes and turn water into wine and raise people from the dead like Lazarus and feed 5,000 for nothing is impossible to the Lord. He's the one who created all things and sustains all things. He's the one that says to the tides, this far and no further. He's the one that breathed out the stars and names them and numbers them and sustains them in the heavens, ensuring that not one of them is missing. He's the God of power and splendor that actually not only knitted your child together in your womb, he sustains their heart in this moment and their lungs in this moment so that they are still breathing. And he's the God that can raise an iron axe head up even out of water in order to help. Ladies, I want to encourage you. The same God that Elisha cried out to to bring salvation in this moment, that same God of power is the one you can cry out to as well. Because he's not only concerned for the little things, he's there in power and splendor to help you in your moment of need. So cry out to him. Cry out to him. Because he's all-powerful. He in his grace has his power to sustain you. And that's what he does sometimes. He gives us grace to sustain. Now, why does God do that? Why doesn't he just sort of sort it out? You know, sort out this problem. Well, that's the way he operates. That's the way he goes. There are times in our lives when we don't understand it, but he keeps the problem there. But what is also true is he always gives us power to sustain. He gives us grace to keep going. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that, that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. You may be able to endure it. He will give you grace in those years of being a mom. Sometimes he will give you through his power grace to sustain. But you know what else he can do? Sometimes in his grace and his power, he will give you grace for change. He will actually bring about a change in your circumstances. It says in James, why do you not have? Simple, you don't have because you don't ask. You know, I think in the midst of motherhood and in a, as a parent, there's probably nothing we need to pray about more than those little eyes that are looking on us each and every day of their lives. God can change circumstances. He can change your heart. He can change your friendship for them. He can change your relationship for them. He can change an issue for them in a moment because he is the God that parted the Red Sea. He's the God that slayed Goliath. He's the one that can raise people from the dead. I'm pretty sure he's got your child good as well. Having numbered the hairs on their head, he's there to cry out to. And he's there in all power to cry out to. And when you cry out to him, here's what I can assure you of. 
He's always listening. Because, and here's the third point of this passage, God is ever-present, ever-watchful, and ever-listening. Ever-present, ever-watchful, and ever-listening. You know, in verse 6, when Elisha cries out to God, aren't you glad that God was indeed ever-present and ever-watchful and ever-listening? I mean, imagine if he hadn't been. I mean, imagine the scene. I'm chopping a log. Axe head falls off. Oh my goodness, it's borrowed. What am I going to do? Oh, good news. Elisha's here. He's a man of God. He, he trusts in the Lord. <coughs> so he's going to pray to God and that something can be done about this. And so Elisha runs up to the water. He throws in the log and he says, don't worry. We'll just pray about this. And nothing happens. Not because God's not powerful. No, he's all powerful. Not because he's not concerned. No, he's all concerned. He's just busy. He's missing. He's not present in that moment. He's sorting out something in China in that moment. So he's not available. But God, I know you're there. Look, hang on a minute. I'm busy. Imagine if that had been the reality. Nothing changes. God is powerful, but he's not present. He's not listening. He's not watchful. He's got a lot on his plate. And that's, that's ridiculous. Because when we read our Bibles, we realize, no, God answered. Not only because he was there in concern. He was not only intimately bothered about what was taking place there for that young man. He's not only powerful to bring about the change in that moment for that young man. More than that, he was there ever present, ever watchful, and ever listening. So as Elisha cries out to God, that accent raises up. A miracle takes place because God's not only concerned, he's also present and powerful and ever watchful and ever listening. Mothers, that's true for you as you parent as well. Ever watchful, ever present, ever listening. Those moments when you're alone with your kids and you just think, I cannot do this anymore. There's one with you who parted the Red Sea that is basically saying to you all along, in and of yourself, you can't do this. But through me, you can do all things. I'll strengthen you. I'll aid you. I'm here. I'm listening. Intimately involved. That psalm that I read out earlier, then Psalm 139. For where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shawl, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Ladies, you're never alone, ever without the Lord. He's intimately involved in your child's life. He's intimately involved in your life. He's there in power. He's ever present and ever watchful and ever listening to you just the same way he was Elisha. So mothers, I want to encourage you. There is no doubt, no doubt at all, a high and holy calling on your lives as motherhood. I mean, talk about a significant endeavor, not only biblically defined, but just in all reality. I think there is 
nothing else more significant in endeavor than being a mother when you stop and think about it. I mean, the reality is there is no one else, particularly in the early years, that has more of a direct influence on our children's lives than their mothers. Given the sheer amount of time you spend with them, in the way you speak, in the way you look, in the way you communicate, no one else is having a bigger influence on their lives than you. And you're called by God to use that influence to train your children in the way they should go, to shape their understanding of God and the world and his word and the gospel and to show a child through word and example what it means to really know and serve and love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and all the mind and all your strength. It would be no exaggeration to say then that mothers in and of themselves are shaping and molding our futures. You're shaping and molding the next generation. You're shaping and molding the next generation of leaders. You're shaping and molding people, men and women that will grow up, many of them, to in and of themselves be a husband and wife in one shape or another. You're involved in shaping the next generation of people who will influence others for years to come, long after your influence comes to an end. There are few things more significant than endeavor than being a mother. It's massive what you do. And from my perspective, as the pastor of this local church, you are a fine group of mothers. You do an incredible job in what you do. Like my own wife, I get to see others at different times caring for your children and laying your lives down for them. And I just want you to know, I'm at the sideline, over at the side, cheering you on, saying you are doing a great and fantastic job. But more than anything I can encourage you in, I want to encourage you this, that in the same way there is a high and holy calling on your life, God is with you. And you are worth far more than an axe head to him. You and your children are far more than an axe head in 2 Kings chapter 6. And so I want to encourage you, you have a God who is concerned even for the little things of your life. For the little things that you walk through as well as the little things that your children walk through. And you get to cry out to one who is all-powerful ultimately over all things and as you cry out to him he will answer because he is ever present and ever watchful and ever listening and so I trust this message that encourages you and equips you and strengthens you whatever season your children are in whether they're three weeks old or whether they're 33 years old my experience says you never stop being a mum so take courage because the God of all grace is with you And you and your child are worth more than an accent to him. So be strengthened and encouraged and comforted. He's with you. And he's listening. And he'll never let you go. I'd like to invite the band to come back up to prepare to lead us in song. I think it would be appropriate to pray for all the mothers in the room. So why don't we stand together. And if you are a mum because I'm not sure we're going to know every single mum in the room. If you are a mum, could you just raise your hand? Great. And then let's keep your hand in the air. And let's gather around these folk with hands in the air.
you're seeing mums outnumbered like these two, you can move. It's okay. We're not in school. You can move. That's good. You can start playing, mate. And you can lay hands on them. That's just something we see in the Bible. It's just an expression of our solidarity with folk. And then I'm going to pray for you. Well, Lord, we do thank you for the gift of motherhood. There would not be an individual in this room that has not been affected by motherhood in some shape or form. Many would look at their mothers as a major influence in their lives. Well, Lord, I thank you for each mother in this moment, in this room. Each one is an expression of your love and your passion for the next generation. Each one is an expression of your love and passion for your children, giving us the gift of mums to train us and lead us and to help us. Lord, I do pray in particular in this moment, would you guard their minds from guilt of where they've gone wrong? Lord, would you guard their minds from researching weeks and months or maybe even years where they realize that they missed it? Because, Lord, for each and every mother in this room, our identity is not in our parenting. Our identity is in you. And, Lord, you in your grace, knowing our victories and failures as parents, you chose us. And you determined that your son would die for us despite us. And that you would set your love permanently and passionately on us. Lord, we do pray for each and every mother as the weeks now unfold. Whatever age their child is, Lord, would they use a reflection of you to influence their children, to affect their children, to win their children to you and to point their children to a God who is not only created the world and created them, but a God who is ever faithful and died in their place. Lord, I do pray that this day would be a special day for them when they know your nearness, when they know your smile. Lord, we thank you for their diligence. But Lord, would grace cover all diligence. You are in control. And to you we may always run. So help us, Lord, each and every mother to put their trust solely, solely in you. In Jesus' name.